Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Entrepreneurial Wealth Manager Podcast. My name is Ralph Gramajo with Viral Marketing, and this is the podcast where we interview successful wealth managers in order to learn about their journey, the obstacles they've overcome, and how you can model their approach to build your wealth management business. On this interview, we have our VP of Business Development, Scott Solari, and our guest, Hillary Hendershot. Hillary is the founder and chief executive of Hillary Hendershot Wealth Management and is a fee-only fiduciary financial advisor. With this experience, she's created investment plans that work to help her clients earn, grow, and protect their wealth. Not to mention, Hillary is proud to have been mentored into the practice by her parents, whose wealth management firm has been in business in Silicon Valley for nearly 40 years. Hillary's whole life has been informed and supported by the work of earning, growing, and protecting wealth. This is why Hillary Hendershot Wealth Management is now one of the only women-owned and women-operated independent registered investment advisory firms in the country. Our audience will learn how Hillary helps her clients manage their money and reach financial goals through examining their money scripts. Hillary also discusses why the majority of her clients are women, what sets her apart from other financial advisors, and what needs to happen for future generations to learn how to properly manage wealth. Hey everyone, Scott Solari, and welcome back to another episode of the Entrepreneurial Wealth Manager Podcast. I'm super excited today to have Hillary Hendershot with us. Hillary, thank you so much for, for being on and, and taking the time to do this interview. I appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. I love the show, so I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Uh, well, I'm going to start off, and I always like to ask, you probably heard, but if you listen to some of the episodes, but um, tell me a little about your background. Like, How did you get to where you are right now? And, and and what have you done like along the way that you feel like is, you know, helped put you in the position that you're in with your career? Yeah, I'll tell you, and I'll tell you the same life, but in two tracks. There's the professional one, and then the personal one. I am the daughter of a financial advisor, like one of the first guys to become a fiduciary financial advisor on the planet. I mean, before there were financial advisors, there were stockbrokers, right? And then a small cohort of really well-meaning people stepped out and said, hey, why don't we do what actually serves the client? And we're going we're gonna to use an investment solution that that is in alignment with what's right for the investor, which it tends to be a buy and hold solution rather than the Churnum and Burnham kind of Wolf of Wall Street thing that people were doing before that. And so I remember very distinctly when he made the change from being a commission life insurance agent to being a fee-only financial advisor. And um, so that was my, that was my, my youth, my, literally my childhood years. I tell people until I turned about 19 or 20 and I figured things out, I thought my dad had a really good friend named Ira. <laughs> <laughs> like, where is this guy, Ira? How come I've never met him? And uh, my dad went into business with his wife. Well, he married Peggy when when I was about 16 or 17. They've been married for more than 20 years now. She's now a 50 or 51% owner in the business. She also started in 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 life insurance sales, and they so they created this um, fee only advisory business. I got started in that business, earned my certified financial planner designation, really truly because I thought I had failed to go public with a company in Silicon Valley. I mean, I graduated from college in like 1999, 2000, and um, and at that time, I mean, if you kind of put yourself on the timeline there, I was at Santa Clara University, and by the time I got out of college, 
I thought I was too late for the dot-com boom. In truth, I took one stab at it. I worked for a startup that didn't start up and, and said we just spent like $30 million and went bankrupt. And um, and I didn't know what to do after that. I I wasn't an engineer. I was a, I was in recruiting for them, for that startup. And and my father and, and his wife said, hey, why don't you come join this business? So I really truly thought financial advisors were pretty boring. Uh, I would go to these conferences and and I just didn't relate. I just did not relate. And it took several years of working in the business for me to really first fall in love with the clients and really realize what financial planning is, which is truly helping people achieve their goals, like applying your technical expertise so that people can actually get where they want to go in life and, and not not you know have mistakes take that away from them. And, and, and I, I got the bug and I love it now. And so then, so then in the middle of all that, getting my CFP and learning my way around the business, I, I finally had to admit to myself that I was failing financially myself. I was an overspender, like a chronic overspender. And I said to myself, what is, what is the source of this problem? Like I have a degree in economics. I'm a certified financial planner. I'm a chronic overspender. I don't like to pay you know, my credit card bills. And it, it makes no sense. And so let me do the research and figure out what's going on. And by the way, if I figure out what's going on with me, I can probably give it away because I'm betting I'm not the only one with this problem. And and I did. I became a neuroscience expert and a behavioral finance geek, and and I figured out that what was going on with me was was some bad financial scripting. And I was able to rewire that those scripts and and recoup, well, pay off the debts, and then rebuild my savings. And 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 now there are really two aspects of my business. There's the very technical, traditional financial advisory side, but there's also this part where. I do talk with clients about their money scripts and their money, what I call your money operating system, and and help people understand that the way that they think about money, first of all, comes from their childhood, but mostly it's it's quite immature, it's quite unsophisticated, and it's not representative of how what money actually is. And so, if you feel trapped or 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 in some way like what's going on in your financial life isn't what you'd want it to be, that there's more possible for you, and it starts with your thinking. And so I think most people find my practice and my service offering to be fairly unique in that way. I love that, and I think, I think you hit something on the head uh, when you were talking about just the overall like education of people or the script, as you said, of how they think about money and how you got into the neuro. So talk to me a little bit about how you help people get past the, that, like the mindset that maybe they've created or has been ingrained in them since they were young and, and make that shift. Yeah. So the first thing that every well-meaning financial advisor and probably business coach and anyone who really wants to help someone has to accept is that in order to help someone, they actually have to want to change <laughs> that, um, Finding people at cocktail parties and telling them what's wrong with them doesn't work. So it's <laughs> and um, and so once that once a check once you can put a check in that box, then it's a matter of looking at what what are the symptoms of the problem that are ha- you can see manifesting in people's lives. I mean, just look out in the world and and take kind of the money 
money issues or problems or you might even consider them psychoses that you see and 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 that's exactly who comes into my office so you have um, the millionaires and multimillionaires who, in my case, because I work almost exclusively with women, they have often, um, they're often divorcees or widows. They don't feel they can re-earn it. So there's a lot of fear, control issues like that. They don't want to share with their friends how much money they have or they want, they actually take steps to hide from it because they're either ashamed of the money or they, they don't want people to alienate them. And so, um, that's just kind of one archetype of, of client that I help. Um, also, kind of the more common ones that you do see are your chronic overspenders, your uh, under earners. And what we do is we take these symptoms apart and we look at what where does it come from? So what are your money memories? What are your first experiences around money? What's all the evidence that you've created in your life? And you probably noticed this, Scott, the, the mind is a very powerful thing. It's not not mm-hmm. just in the area of money, right? But you are able to gather evidence for that which you believe to be true. And 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 it's amazing because you put two or three or four people in the same situation and they'll have a completely different experience from one another. So we look at what's all that evidence that you have that makes that story true and then you get to decide, do you want to keep this money story or do you want to write a new one? And how we rewrite your money story isn't the direct way that you would think, right? It's not about... Um, going in the closet and saying affirmations for an hour a day or anything like that. Um, but really the skill of building, bringing wealth into your life, so it starts with income, bringing money into your life, saving it and investing it as wealth and then preserving that wealth uh, can be taught. And I don't think many people are teaching that skill set. I think it's about seven different skills. I teach those seven skills. And then people find that when they're integrating new truths or new new distinctions into their life, that they they automatically kind of re, right over that old dysfunctional story. They're able to experience new results that very much contradict the old results. And so those two phenomena can't coexist in one time. The for example, if I strongly believe that there's never enough money in my life, but every time I log into my bank account, there's more money than I thought there was, I have to now rewrite my story because, in fact, there's more money than I need. <laughs> um, and that's just one example of um, of kind of money scripts. Other money scripts or money operating systems that come up are things like, oh, money is complicated. Money is drama. Money is bad, right? And and then and then people will have behaviors and patterns in place in their life that entrench those that entrench those beliefs. And it's really easy to see it once you look at it for what it is. Um, but but if you're willing, I know that you can rewrite those scripts. I, I love that. I think it's such a I think it's such an issue in our society, especially you know you know I know in my household growing up it was. You know, we didn't talk about how much people made. You know, it, it just wasn't a subject, but also that over time and the fact that I, I wasn't taught about how to spend or save or what I should be doing with my money. Right. I didn't learn it till a late, later age in my life where I missed a huge window of maybe things I could have been doing differently, uh, you know, with my money to make sure that I was in a better position when I get older with retirement. So I think, you know, it's this is a huge i think we're you know it's a huge issue in our in our so society too. right i mean <laughs> so 
And I mean, just look at why, why did you get left with that we don't talk about money? A lot of people will say money is private, it's a personal issue. And yet, what's the first rule of thumb when it comes to working something out in your life? Well, you get in communication about it. You share with someone exactly what's going on. Uh, like, I can't, I can't work out my calculus problem, or my, my wife and I are having this communication problem, or like, just say what it is. But there's so many people in this world who will not even acknowledge the money problem. Yeah. And so we can't even walk through the front door in terms of problem solving. So, yeah, I mean, it's even, yeah, I, I acknowledge you for being willing to share that. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm yeah, sure yeah. you had to learn through your own mistakes. A lot of them, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> yeah. It made me stronger, but I wouldn't suggest that path to <laughs> no, anyone. No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, hopefully, you know, maybe if we can instill these skills, and I'm not talking about just spend less than you make, but if we can instill these skills in a formalized way, I think a lot of people can avoid, and money issues can be very, very, very painful, very pain, very costly um, in terms of quality of life and, and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, earlier you mentioned that you, you work mostly with women. Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about that because I find that very interesting. I mean, there has to be a little bit of a story there and how that how you ended up connecting um, with with women in such a way because I know a lot of, uh, you know, women financial advisors or financial planners that, you know, work with, with of course, men and women. Um, but it seems like it, something happened probably. Uh, that kind of pushed you that way a little bit. <laughs> Very insightful of you. Yes. I, um, you know, I mean, I grew up with my dad as a role model. My dad's a, a great consultative salesperson. He's a fantastic financial advisor. And he's a very assertive personality, very, very bold personality, right? So we would go to industry conferences and we would be with his colleagues. And I, in my infinite wisdom, didn't realize that the, you know, the people I saw around me weren't necessarily a random selection of financial advisors. But I look around me and all I see are men who look like my dad, uh, frankly, old white men. And so I thought I was the wrong gender and the wrong age to be a financial advisor. I, I couldn't even fathom why someone would let me manage their money. And even though I had the education, I had the training, I had the designation, I had the backup support, I, right? It just, for me, I, I let that affect my confidence. And then there was a day uh, first of all, I remember the first time someone hired me, and it was a, it was a woman. She called me, and uh, we had met uh, through an event that we did together, and she called me, and and she came in, and it was all I could do. I remember handing her the pen. Like, I went through the process, went through the conversation, handed her the pen, and I thought, I, I thought I, I thought someone tell her to stop. Like someone's going to tell her to stop. Like she's not going to sign, and she signed, and it all it altered my world, right? And 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 then I had this thought, you know, I may not be your traditional financial advisor, but I bet just like I like to go to a female doctor, I bet there are people out there looking for someone like me. Like I'm the long tail solution, and and. And, it, and having that thought 
altered my perspective of the world completely. And then this really strange thing happened. But within the next three or four weeks, I had several female friends from my past, like former work colleagues, and et cetera, contact me and hire me. And it was like, it was like the kind of the, the gates of prosperity had opened up. I had had a, the key realization that put me in front of the right audience where I can really make a difference. And so now, now I'm very much engaged in the community of women supporting women. And, and the truth is, Scott, I mean, as much as I talk like this, like I, like I, I serve women, most women are either married or want to be married to a man. Um, I mean, there are women who marry women, but, but most of the women I work with are either dating or married. So that means about 25 to 30% of my clients are men. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And, and I call them enlightened men. And, um, and and I always acknowledge them. I say, you know, I speak to women. Do you notice that in my marketing? And my, they say, yes. I say, does it bother you? They say, ah, uh, no. You know, you just do your thing, and and you know, I support it. So um, so I always make sure they feel included too. <laughs> good, good, good. Yeah. So I want to um, I want to jump back to to the psychology a little bit and, and the mindset and and I think. Um, it's important because I think that's what maybe differentiates yourself from a lot of the advisors and how you, you focus on those things. Talk to me a little bit about how, you know, you help um, your clients, you know, make the right decisions as well as, um, you know, where as an advisor, you can, you can say, Hey, maybe this is, this is blocking the way you're thinking about something because of something that's helped happened in the past or how do you like, how do you approach that? Hmm. Uh, so first thing, there has to be a lot of trust in the relationship. There has to be that authenticity where both parties are willing to share openly. Second, again, you have to have permission. And even in an advisory role, where they've actually paid me and paid me a good amount of money to advise them. I will remind them. I just want to remind you that the word advisor is in my is in my title. I'm a financial advisor. So sometimes I advise people. I try not to give advice that you don't take because I want our conversations to be valuable, but do I have permission to advise you? And they'll always say yes. <laughs> <laughs> and um and 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 I think, and so, so some, so sometimes I'll say, you know, the, the the three most important, valuable words sometimes that your financial advisor can say to you are, "Don't do that." Sometimes, sometimes when you think you have a good idea in in the investment world or the financial world, sometimes uh, someone with a little bit more wisdom and experience on that topic just knows that it's a mistake, and I'm telling you. I'm asking you, don't do that. Um, another thing is that instead of get instead of digging into what they're doing in their current life that's bad and wrong and doesn't work, because they kind of know it. They know if their financial life doesn't work. Um, you can cut, take the bull by the horns and set up positive metrics. So you can say to people, I want you to achieve X, Y, and Z. For example, I want you to have you know, $25,000 in cash in that account in four months. Can we agree to that? Yes. Okay, great. I'm writing that down. I put that in my client notes. And then I can check in because they've already agreed to do that. And so now instead of instead of saying, well, I told you not to have any more credit card debt, right, we can check in. I can check in and say, look, my notes say that by this date we were going to have $25,000 in that account. So tell me what happened. 
that that's that the current balance is twelve thousand or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm making this up, Scott. But you no, can't. I know. I'm just like, I, yeah, I'm I'm relating. <laughs> I think it's it's important to have. Uh, so I think of that as a positive metric rather than a, a negative metric. I, I would much rather you and I engage around making positive motion movement in your financial life than for me to get into being critical of what's happening of what you've already done. Now, I'll give you an example. Um, I have some clients who are very entrepreneurial, very creative, and sometimes that creative thinking gives rise to creative investments. And unfortunately, the investing world is just not really a place where creativity, in my opinion, often pays off. Uh, Investments are math, after all, and some of the smartest minds in the world have been Hard at work putting those portfolios together and teaching us what we know, right? The creativity. It's it's not like in Silicon Valley we really value innovation. Innovation in finance is not often a good thing. So these folks just happen to have a portfolio of, in my opinion, uh, uh, illiquid investments, things that aren't going to serve them, are, are making their life kind of really high maintenance, are headaches, and in some cases are are costing them a lot of money. So rather than say to them, don't be the way you've been before you met me, I use words like peace of mind. I use words like simple and elegant. And I say, I wonder how much your time is worth when you tell me how long you spend on the phone with these people and you send me these intricate spreadsheets showing me all the things that you already own that frankly aren't paying you what you want them to pay you. And they, they say, you know, you're right. You're right. You're right. We want to simplify. We like that, Hillary. We want to simplify. So great. Then let's simplify. So to me, simplify means <laughs> let's get rid of this crap. <laughs> and they, uh, they are, and they, they, so far they're on board. But, you know, you, ha- you have to, you have to get people aligned around a common vision. I hope this answers your question. It does answer my question. And, and I appreciate you going into examples because I think that's how, how the audience um, really relates to uh, to what you're talking about, right? So, um, the the last question I wanted to, to ask you uh, is, well, first off, if someone out there is listening right now, Hillary, and they feel like, wow, I didn't know there was someone specific out there that I can maybe identify with, especially um, that works with with women. You know, how should they how should they get in touch with you? I have a contact form on my website, so that's Hillary Hendershot Wealthmanagement dot com. You can send a quick email to info at HillaryHendershot.com. My assistant will send you a calendar. That's no problem. And um, I'm happy to have a quick chat to see if we might be a good fit to work together. Awesome. I love it. Um, and then the, the other thing I wanted to say was, well, first of all, I really appreciate doing the interview today. And I know our, our uh, audience is getting a, a ton of value from this. But um, going back to the education piece of, of this interview about educating people at an early age about their finances and what they should be doing, what do you what do you think – the changes need like how do how do changes need to happen overall, and do you think the the financial wealth management industry is going to have an influence over changes 
in the next generations of Gen X, the millennials and the, and even the kids coming up that are teenagers now on making sure that they're educated the right way with the, with the money that they're going to be getting essentially uh, from a lot of these baby boomers that are going to be transferring those assets. Yeah, I think you're going to find my response to that to be different from what most people say. I think most people say, well, we got to teach it in school, blah, 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 blah. Here's what, here's what you want to know about young people. First of all, money is a man-made thing. We made it up, right? So it's not like um, people don't – people's brains don't get even – close to sophisticated enough or mature enough to really deal with the long-termness of money until, in my opinion, most people are 30 or 35 years old before they're really financially sophisticated, even can enter into the conversation, right? So do I think we should teach it in elementary school? I think it's a waste of time. High school, most people don't want to learn. College, some people will engage in the conversation and get value from it and actually, you know, implement practices in their lives. I guess... I, I truly am an optimist, and I know that when people want a particular skill set, they can find it. I, I wish that it was more – it was easier for people to find. I, I think looking at the financial advice world is a mistake. I know plenty of financial advisors who are dead broke, dead broke. And and so who are you going to take your advice from? Well, you better have a role model who's achieved the results you want. So if you want multimillions, you need to find a multimillionaire, right? Um, and, and so my solution to that, I don't know if this is going to be what you wanted to hear, be, you – the, the younger generations are going to inherit money from the baby boomers. That's right. And so whenever I have a client who's drafting a trust, and that trust says when their kids get to take possession of any inheritance money, I say to them, I strongly recommend that you leave the money in the trust and pay your children only very small amounts of it until they turn 35 years old. And so that's what I think. I think that we shouldn't give people lots of money until they're old enough to handle it, until they've had the time in their life to make the mistakes. I mean, do you feel like, Scott, at this point in your life, if you inherited a couple million dollars, could you and would you handle it responsibly? Yes, at this point in my life. If you Because, because you learned the hard <laughs> way, right? Yeah. If you gave it to me 10 years ago, absolutely not. Right. Right. <laughs> 10 years ago, you would have turned it into a semi full of beer. And it, <laughs> I, ah. I, I don't know. <laughs> you know, and, or, and I would have been at Nordstrom. I would have had a closet full of clothes. I would have, you know, like this is how it would have gone. Um, so I just, I think, It's the one area where I'm in favor of paternalism. I think that we should guard that wealth carefully and do the things that empower people to steward it prudently. And and 25-year-olds and 20-year-olds just don't do that. So that's that's where I'm at. Ah, I love it. I love it. Hillary, this ended so perfectly. This is exactly what I was looking for. I I guess not really. I didn't know you were going to go this way, but I love it. So, um, but... Again, so on, on your website, uh, HillaryHendershot.com, and then um, info at HillaryHendershot.com as well is the email, correct? Yes. Hillary has one L. Unlike Hillary Clinton, my first name is H-I-L-A-R-Y, and the Hendershot has two Ts. So in, info at HillaryHendershot.com. Excellent. And we'll have more information up about Hillary as well uh, in the write-up in this podcast. Hillary, thank you again so much for the interview. 
And uh, this has been another episode of the Entrepreneurial Wealth Manager Podcast, and we'll see you all next time. Welcome back, everybody, from the interview with Hillary and Scott Solari on the Entrepreneurial Wealth Manager Podcast. One of the key takeaways is Hillary going over how even though she grew up in a household where both her parents were financial advisors, she herself admitted to having a problem with overspending. It takes time and it takes training in order to reprogram someone's money habits. I want to thank Hillary Hendershot for getting on this interview with us here at Viral Marketing for the Entrepreneurial Wealth Manager podcast. If you or anyone you know would like to be a guest or have general questions about the podcast, feel free to reach out to me, Ralph, at G-E-T-V-Y-R-A-L dot C-O-M. See you next time.